I hate to break it to you, but you're in for a big surprise. Five years from now, Jane, who's resigning today, will ring the NASDAQ bell, officially launching her company on the public market. And what you'll soon realize is that Jane stole your most valuable data to start her new company on her way out the door. Learn how Code42 Insider can stop data theft and protect your organization's most valuable assets. Visit Code42.com to learn more. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the WIM podcast. Women in Influencer Marketing, or WIM for short, is a first-of-its-kind exclusive networking group made up of inspirational women. This podcast is where we explore influencer marketing, advertising trends, and get real about women in business. Our mission is to network, to foster leaders within this exciting industry, and to share information to make our work stronger. That's where this podcast comes in. We'll bring you fresh perspectives on timely topics facing the industry from expert voices in the space. Find us wherever you download podcasts. And of course, you can always find us at IamWim.com. That's IamWim.com. Ashley Hajar has been in the affiliate marketing industry for over five years. Ashley is currently on the brand partnerships team at ShopStyle and loves using data and technology to create meaningful partnerships between influencers and brands. She previously worked at Rakuten Marketing and now is aligning Rakuten Marketing and ShopStyle as sister companies in influencer marketing activations. Ashley started out as a blogger herself, and while she no longer actively blogs, she is excited by the growth of our industry. She lives in Hoboken with her husband and two-year-old daughter, Harper. She enjoys Bar 3, Peloton, and spending time with her family. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to have you here. It's nice to have like friends on the podcast. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. It's so good to just like reconnect and see you. I feel like years ago we met and then have kind of had meetings here and there, but it's so nice to reconnect and just like talk all things influencer. Yeah. Same. Uh, Agreed. (laughs) So... We heard a little bit about you in the intro to the podcast. Awesome. Um, Tell everybody in your own words your journey and how you made it to where you are today. Okay. So when I graduated from college, I lived in Chicago. My husband was going to medical school and I really wanted to start kind of a side gig. So I started a blog started a blog when I was living in Chicago. My husband was in medical school. Or sorry, he was my boyfriend then. Um, And I kind of like needed something to do. So started working on my blog, which is called Sparkle Sense, which RIP, I kind of just closed it down. But anyways, that's how I originally got into affiliate marketing. So I was doing a blog. My cousin actually had a blog as well. And she was like, why aren't you using affiliate links? You're talking about dresses and products and shoes that you love. So I started using affiliate links, started making some commissions, and then actually met my girlfriend, Sarah. We were going to our friend's um, bay house for the weekend. And she was like, you should look at my company, Linkshare, which now is Rakuten Marketing, was Rakuten Affiliate Network, but originally was Linkshare. So five years ago, started working at Linkshare on the publisher team. So I was working with a variety of publishers. I was working with coupon sites. I was working with some fashion sites, but not as as many. I was always super interested in influencer though. And I always was like trying to get my team to like work with like Blair Eady. And like, I was like, you guys, this is going to be big. And I think they listened, but it wasn't 
it wasn't a key focus at the time five years ago. Fast forward to today, um, I ended up heading our influencer team at what is now Racked Marketing for about three years, starting running influencer campaigns. And now I am at our sister company, ShopStyle. So have kind of come full circle in terms of my path to affiliate marketing, but really it started out as a hobby. Um, so it's kind that. of fun. Yeah, kind <laughs> of fun. I, I mean, who doesn't love like on both sides, you know, making commissions off of just you know, suggesting products that you truly love. Um, And then as a consumer, like who doesn't love having product just be so easily curated for you? Um, I know that as a a consumer, I absolutely love finding an influencer who has a similar aesthetic, a similar body shape, um, and I can just so easily get things that I I trust that they'll recommend to me. Absolutely. And I think that with my blog, I'm very girly. I never tried to stray away from that. Like I was more of the opinion if you like following my style and my like femininity than do. If you don't, then it's not for you. And I think that's where influencers who get it right get it right because they're trying to focus on their core audience and they know, okay, I'm not going to have someone who's looking for like trendy boots follow me because that's just not my thing Mm -hmm. but I think that that's where influencers who get it right they if they're a mom blogger and they are posting everyday essentials and everyday items that the you know mom followers can relate to that's where they're really successful so definitely and so talk to us a little bit about Rakuten because it's a giant, giant worldwide company. Um, Talk to us a little bit about what it's like working for such a large company. Yeah. So Rakuten is Japanese company and they have acquired quite a lot of businesses in the U.S. over the past, well, since I've been um, at the company five years and it's been It's been really exciting, and I think that they've done a good job in terms of incorporating businesses together. And I think, you know, a real key focus of Rakuten is to become one Rakuten and really work together. And I think that's really where we're seeing a partnership like this one with Rakuten Marketing and ShopStyle, you know, bloom and become a force to really use our data, to use our expertise in knowing, you know, these influencers convert. You know, if you're a client who's looking for sales as your number one KPI, we can actually give you that. And I think that's really a huge differentiator is that we have obviously shopsell.com, which is, you know, a discovery search platform where 10 million shoppers are, you know, on the site actively searching for items monthly. And then we have the collective, which is the influencer network where they're using affiliate links organically, as well as within paid campaigns. And I think that what we saw as a huge benefit to our Rakuten marketing clients was, okay, how can we tap into this influencer network that ShopStyle has and has been creating and really giving the tools to be successful? And how can we help our clients have the most successful influencer partnerships. Because I think in the past, we struggled with influencers organically using links because the Rakuten marketing platform isn't as intuitive for influencers. It's a little big. It's, you know, it's for any kind of publisher. It's for huge publisher types. So it's not as influencer focused. So I think that the real beauty of the collective platform is that it's super easy for influencers to use. 
They can go in, they can create beautiful widgets, you know, they can grab links, they can use the bookmarklet. So it's been really great just in terms of influencers being able to work with the Reaction Marketing clients, but also still be able to use all of the amazing tools that ShopSell has. I mean, it's so smart. Um, I use Rakuten probably on a daily basis. I don't know if I've ever told you that before. Um, I don't think I knew that. Yeah, I actually use it all the time. Um, One of the major exciting finds that's on Rakuten is Grubhub. (laughs) And so every time I order food, I think they give me like 6 or 7% cash back, Oh my gosh, it's amazing, right? Which is huge, yeah. Um, And so, um, you know, I've witnessed their huge retailers on there. Like I will purchase stuff from Bloomingdale's or from, you know, a variety of different stores I've seen like – you know, when I go on a trip, I'll check out like, oh, is Travelocity on there? Is, yeah. You know, any sort of company on there, um, big or small. So the technology is huge. And I think Absolutely. how brilliant of it, uh, of them is it to, you know, obviously have the tech there and then to just find some other markets in which the tech could be really, really utilized, like the influencer space. Absolutely. And so being able to now have um, shop style on board and the collective, like you were mentioning, you know, talk to me about how you guys um, as shop style and what you guys are doing there is different from what other people are doing and how you are really so unique. Yeah. So what's super unique is that we have the shopsell.com business as well as the shopsell collective business. So the collective is the influencer network. Shopsell.com is, as I mentioned, the discovery platform. And what's really exciting is that we are also starting cash back on shopsell.com and really, really exciting um, as a way to really give our consumers a way to get cash back as they do on Rakuten.com. Um, and kind of personalize their shopping experience. I think that we're all about really figuring out easier ways for consumers to shop, um, ways to get incentivized like cash back. And then in terms of the influencer network, in terms of the collective, we are really excited and really proud of our campaign that's called the Know Your Worth campaign. So we are giving influencers insight into their affiliate metrics beyond what was available before. So they're able to see total number of sales driven per retailer as well as AOV. We're essentially giving them the tools to become their own businesses and really use data and really use their performance metrics to sell themselves so that they can continue to partner with brands, so they can continue to show their worth and and really show how impactful they can be. So we're really excited just about the transparency that we're able to provide these influencers because we want them to feel empowered and we want them to feel like they know their metrics, that they know what they're able to drive and convert. So I think it's just giving them the tools, again, not only just in terms of creating content and being able to monetize it, but also then being able to show reporting for it and say, hey, actually this month, you know, organically, I was able to drive $10,000 in sales to XYZ retailer. This is why you should partner with me. And I would venture to say that like, an influencer simply having that data is just such a – they have such a leg up. Like I, I can imagine if I were a brand or an agency and I'm like hiring an influencer and let's say they don't have an agent so I'm speaking with them directly. Like if they just simply provided me this data, I'd be like, 
I want to work with this person. I'm not even necessarily going to look too much into it, to be honest, because just the data alone is so valuable. Um, And then, of course, if you look into it, like how incredible it is, obviously, they're only going to present good data to somebody. Right. Um, But like – even just having that data alone is huge. I think that it's like what I, what comes to mind for me is empowering influencers to really take charge of their own businesses. And you guys provide the tools to be able to do that, which Absolutely. is huge. Yeah. And I think that influencers that may not have this huge Instagram following but are able to drive and convert, they need that data. They need to be able to show that they actually – are able to drive performance because without it, I think some clients get a little jaded in, well, we only want the influencers that have the X number of followers and X number of engagements, which that's completely fine if your number one KPI is brand awareness. But if your number one KPI is sales, which a lot of our clients, they say that, you know, their number one KPI is sales. It's like, okay, well, here's who we're recommending and this is why. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it takes a little bit of education to help them understand that if that is their number one KPI, they may not have the most beautiful curated feed, but guess what? It works and their audience resonates with it and acts on it. So that's so interesting. So what what are some of the surprises then that you've seen um, out of an influencer who really just performs? I mean, one you said is that, you know, maybe they don't have the most curated feed necessarily, um, but like, damn, they're they perform. Um, what are some other surprises or learnings that you've experienced along the way, all these years of working with influencers? Yeah, I think that a lot of brands will say, we don't want to work with influencers who are just going to do a mere selfie or not have a professional photographer. Again, sometimes these perform so well, especially during like huge sale times. This is what feels relatable to the influencers' audiences. So I I kind of feel like right now, a lot of the influencers are trying to figure out this balance of these perfectly curated photos where they hire a professional photographer and then also continuing to be relatable to their audience to to a point where they are able to convert products. Because even me, myself as a consumer, I will purchase something from an influencer when I feel like, oh, I can see myself wearing that like today and they're taking a picture of like before they're going on a walk with their dog. And, you know, if they're out like in this beautiful lighting and on the Brooklyn Bridge and like, you know, I mean, it's beautiful. I love it. I think that for, again, for brand awareness, for that engagement, and if that's the type of content that the client's looking for to kind of maybe repurpose it, that's great. But if they want to drive sales... You may just need to shift the focus a little bit and understand where the influencer's coming from and that they know their strengths. Definitely. I think that, you know, we talk about that a lot on this podcast, that being you really have to ha- – a brand should have a lot of self-awareness before they go into hiring influencers to know what their actual goals are um, and to have a partner like you guys to say like – here's the strategy that we should implement then if that is your goal. Or right. in some instances to push back. I've had people in the podcast say before, like, I tell a lot of brands that like influencer marketing isn't necessarily for them if they're looking for X, Y, and Z. Absolutely. And I'd much rather be transparent and upfront and tell them that before they're disappointed. You know, we don't want to disappoint any clients and we don't want 
them to come to us and say our number one KPI is sales, but we want to work with these five influencers. And we go back to them and we say, if you work with these five influencers, you will not drive sales. Right. Right. It's a fact. Right. So I think it's a balance of not trying to like kill anyone's buzz here, but (laughs) also trying to keep it real. Like this is the reality of it. And we know from historically working with XYZ Influencer, they create beautiful content. They drive amazing engagements, amazing brand awareness. But if you're looking for sales, not who we would recommend. (laughs) And so I would venture to say that a lot of brands listening to this podcast are looking to drive sales. Mm -hmm. You know, that's probably, you know, maybe they're like, oh, brand awareness is great. But like, yeah, I mean, I want to move product. I'm a business at the end of the day. What should they look for in influencers? Like walk me down that road to say like, you know, they would do this, they would do that. Describe to me an influencer that you've experienced who really, really pushes product. Yeah. I think if we have a client that comes to us and says, we really want to push product and we want to drive sales and conversions, we would look at our data, understand who from our network that we know historically has very high sales conversions, but also make sure that it's the right fit in terms of category. Obviously, we want to make sure if it's a home brand that it's an influencer that would make sense, which, to be honest, a lot of these influencers are now talking about all facets of their lives. Right. That's what I was thinking when you said that. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe there are generally like a mom influencer who talks about, you know, fashion that's very relatable and essentials, but they also may do, you know, a redo of their living room and it makes a lot of sense for a home client. So there's also the education there to say, okay, it may look like this influencer mainly talks about fashion, but when we've put them into a beauty campaign or we've put them into a home campaign, they still really perform because they're a lifestyle influencer. And knowing also that some of those lifestyle influencers, their demo are like, these are people who are looking to spend money. You know, I mean, I think mm-hmm. that if you're looking to drive, to sell, really sell product, you know, you should you should tap into an audience that like they're the spenders in their family or the spenders Absolutely. of their household or just their single people like looking to add value to their life by purchasing some sort of product. Yeah. And I think that if we have a client that really wants sales conversions, but they maybe do want a little bit of that beautiful curated content. Mix it up. We can do a mix. Mm-hmm. We can work with three influencers that we know really drive high conversions. And then we can throw maybe two other influencers in there that have this beautiful created content that they can repurpose. So we can definitely make them happy. It's just having the most information that we can up front helps. It just is the only thing that we're going to be able to go off of. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when I have a client come to us and say, well, I want sales and I want to work with lifestyle influencers, it's just not that much information. Like I need to know a little bit more, like what products do you want them to be pushing? Because we also have to make sure that it makes sense for the influencer. Sometimes the influencer will say no if it wouldn't make sense for their audience, which I think some brands are surprised at. But if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. They don't want to, you know, 
have their followers think that they are being inauthentic or they're just trying to like take on any campaign that comes their way because that's their business that's their livelihood of course and any brand has to maintain credibility you know the big brands and the small brands and influencers are small brands some of them are huge brands right. <laughs> to be clear but you know they they start out as small brands and they need to maintain that credibility so we were talking before the podcast started a little mm. bit we we're chit-chatting um one thing you were talking about was sort of like inventory issues that have come up. Like, you know, the idea that of things that brands or agencies on behalf of brands should think about before diving into an influencer campaign. Um, There are a lot of logistical – I mean, there's so many logistical things that go into working with influencers and having a successful campaign. Um, One of them is inventory, something that is really important. Um, So talk to us a little bit about some of the um, inventory issues that you've seen or just things that people should keep top of mind. Yeah. So I've definitely worked with various brands, especially retailers, who – are super excited to work with influencers, are putting a lot of budget behind having influencers create content, and then they'll send an influencer a list of products, and every influencer in the campaign chooses the same dress. So then they're all pushing the same dress, and the dress sells out, and then it's a bad experience for the consumer because then the product sold out. And it's a bad experience for the brand because they are missing out on all of these additional sales that they could have had. Um, I think that something that we were talking about before the podcast started that I had mentioned is having brands see the value in influencers choosing their own products that they're pushing because they know what's going to resonate with their audience best. And just having a little bit more freedom there is going to help the campaign perform better. If there's a certain collection that they're looking to push, of course, completely understandable, but also letting them have free reign in that collection instead of saying, okay, we need each influencer in this campaign to wear a different outfit. I think that there's a lot of opportunity with these inventory issues that I see. I think that the problem is, is that they, the client doesn't even have maybe the full list of products until right before the campaign. And I think that's a struggle that a lot of brands deal with is that, okay, if we could have feedback from influencers before we get to the product selection phase, the influencers could say, hey, I think these three products are going to kill it. I'm going to post about them. I'm sure my friends are also going to like these products and post about them. Just getting some more insight into which pieces to stock up on in terms of inventory. So I think there's so much opportunity there figuring out that process. But as I said, streamlining that and making it really scalable, I think is where we have just a struggle and, you know, internally in terms of the influencer network, but also just the clients themselves figuring out how do we find out which products are going to be the big hitters, which products are going to sell out, which one should we stock up on more? I think that's something I see all the time. Yeah. And maybe look, if it's like, it's, if it's like a clothing company, for example, and maybe they don't have the exact items um, to share uh like as you're casting the campaign, like there's things that you can do to combat that, to get ahead of it a little bit because that's what needs to happen in order for it to run smoothly. Like maybe just say like, you know, what colors do you generally like? Or like, you know, if you could pick a, like give them three operative words, like, you know, 
evening look, a daytime look or whatever? Like which one would you naturally – which do you think your audience would respond better to? Mm-hmm. Like there's ways to get around it just so they gather information um, in the casting phase because I can tell – I could speak from, you know, an influencer's perspective if like once they're, you know, contracted to be on – in a partnership, um, they've signed on with a brand um, – you know, they they are trusting that the brand has, you know, their best interest at heart because they're, you know, mutually invested in this partnership being successful. Um, and so, you know, if they the brand presents the influencer with a variety of different products and the influencer honestly says, mm, there's nothing here that really will resonate with my audience or that I like authentically like – what else do you have? Right. You know, it's not like they're saying no, but they're just being honest because they want it to be successful as well. Yeah. And for the brand to maybe be surprised by that or like offended that a lot. by that mm-hmm. or like, guys, like we're in it together. We're in it together. Absolutely. And they wouldn't push back if they wanted it to be successful or if they didn't want it to be successful. Right. They're pushing back because they're, they're making an effort here. They're doing their part of the job. Yeah. Especially – for products that maybe are outside of the box as well. If there's an influencer that does decide to take on a campaign and has a very creative and artistic way to be presenting the product, the brand should also trust the influencer Mm -hmm. in that regard because they are the creatives here. They are their own business. They know their audience best. So I think that there has to be a lot of trust there Mm -hmm. on both sides of the coin because if the brand isn't trusting that the influencer knows what they're doing and putting together, even if it seems a little outside of the box or something that they're not comfortable with, I think that sometimes influencers get a little upset when the brand maybe doesn't trust them Mm -hmm. i've I've seen that as well where the preview comes back and the images aren't exactly styled the way that maybe they typically do but this is in the influencer's voice that's really like the content that they're creating and it's their specialty and so like what do you do on your side because i experience this as representing influencers and so you and I were essentially the middle man, the middle person, right? right? And we are just trying to make everybody happy. Um, I know what I say to my influencers and what I will say to brands as well. Of course, it's a case-by-case basis. Um, but what are what are things that you say when you're in that situation? Yeah, I think that I'm generally talking to the brands and I'm not directly talking to the influencers. So we have a team that kind of manages all the influencers, but I do have that direct feedback from the influencers. I think that what my job is to really educate the brands on this is why you chose this influencer. You saw all their statistics. You decided that you loved their content. You decided that this was who you were choosing. Trust them and let us work with you know them on if there's small feedback and small tweaks and changes we can work with that but if it's a complete reshoot of the product and a complete revamp of the styling then we push back and we say you know this is one of our top influencers please trust the process and please trust us that we know that this is going to perform well so it's definitely something that we have struggles with a lot just in terms of aligning these 
you know, influencers as well with the clients. Us too, for the record. So like both sides are struggling. And that's why I'm, I'm really motivated to talk about this because if we're both experiencing, I know that everybody listening has probably experienced it as well. Mm -hmm. I feel like that is one of the like biggest areas of conflict. Um, is, you know, finding a real balance between what the brand wants, who's paying their paycheck at the end of the day, right? Um, and what the influencer, is, you know, feels is best on their feed. Like, we talk about this all the time on the podcast, at our events, et cetera, yeah. et cetera, about, like, you know, trusting each other and, like, finding a middle ground, a place to mm-hmm. meet so that it's mutually successful for everybody. But like, it is so much easier said than done. Like what, I don't know. I want to give advice to people listening. I, I think that like the only thing that I would say, and I want to hear your opinion too, of course, is like, I just think it's a matter of having a lot of in-depth creative discussions up front. Yes. Having as many of them up front as possible. That's exactly what I was going to say. I think that making sure that in the initial conversations about the campaign that we make it very clear to the client that, yes, we have guidelines that they need to follow. We have a scope of work that the influencers obviously need to have very key points, key messaging. But from there, they are creatives. They are the ones who are going to be creating this content. And generally, we have you know, stipulations in their contract that say that, you know, there can be X number of revisions. And from there, it may be an incremental fee because again, influencers are running their own businesses. And I think that, I think that now they're taken more seriously, but I think that in the past it was almost seen as, oh, they'll revise this as many times as I want because I'm paying for it. And yes, of course you're paying for it, but guess what? They have packed content schedules and they are a lot of them moms and (laughs) trying to like get through life and keep, you know, up with their deadlines that they have. So I think just making sure that's clear to the client that these influencers have guidelines that they also need the brand to follow. Definitely. And, you know, I will also venture to even go a step further and say, you know, this is a person that you've gone into business with. This isn't just like like a, a talent like that, you know, you can just push around and they'll do whatever you want because mm-hmm. like you're paying for it. You know, like these people are, you know, significant players and the influencer marketing would not exist without these people, right? Yeah. Um, and so it again, it's it's mutual respect and of their time for sure, because time is one of the most valuable things there are. Um, but also, so I would question is, is the assumption that, you know, they'll, they're willing to not only just do multiple rounds of edits just to like see this or see how this works, but who's to say that your proposal for an edit will land in a place that the influencer is even comfortable with? Like, right. this is their place on the internet. This isn't the brand's website necessarily. Right. And they have to own their space and they have to right. own what they're putting out there. Right. Again, going back to making sure that the brand and the product is even right for their audience, it really comes like full circle there. It's like, of course, the content that they're creating, the messaging that they're putting out, they have to be comfortable with. And also just in general, the brands and the products that they're promoting and pushing out to their audiences has to be something that they feel passionate about or else they're going to get backlash. They're going to lose followers and they're going to lose trust. So I think it's just like, I think 
like anything in life, it's a matter of really putting yourself yourself in the other person's shoes Mm -hmm. Um, and really just having empathy and really, really understanding why these people are saying what they're saying and why these people are doing what they're doing um, to be able to even begin to work with them and have a a symbiotic relationship. I do think that having the explanation, if an influencer does say, no, I won't do X, Y, Z edit, having some background helps. A hundred percent. Because then it's clear as to why. I think that we get into a sticky situation when an influencer gives feedback and says, no, I won't make XYZ edit and they don't give any background as to why, then the brand's upset. I get that. Sure. I think that it comes to a place where like, okay, as long as we're communicating the why as to, you know, why they're not going to make this edit, then it's a lot easier. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do think, I mean, just the Overall campaign execution is such a lengthy, I mean, as we've talked about before, it's so detail-oriented. I think a lot of clients come to us and they maybe have worked with an influencer in a one-off, but they're not quite in the loop in terms of just how involved it is to get these campaigns up and running. Definitely. And that, you know, we were talking about tech before and like, oh my goodness, like that would be such a win to be able to find you know, some sort of tech piece to be able to make this process run more smoothly. Because I think that if anything I've learned from the past many years of doing this is like, oh, like there are so many variables and it's only going to get more extensive. Um, You know, there has to be a way for everybody to stay organized and to preemptively know the questions to ask. We were talking about that before. Um, You know, what piece of advice would you give people listening? If you can give them one, just one (laughs) huge piece of advice. Going into a campaign, what's made a campaign successful for you? What would you tell them to look out for? I would say be extremely clear with the objective, which we've already touched on in terms of picking one KPI. I think that where we run into issues is when a client goes into a campaign and says, we want sales, but we also want brand awareness and we also want traffic. So I think from the brand side, definitely choosing one objective and one key to success Mm -hmm. for a campaign. For influencers, I would say ensuring that before they send a draft or a preview, checking and double checking that the messaging from the scope of work from the client is really in there. I just think they'd save themselves a lot of heartache and time and stress editing things because I think that's where we run into delays as well. Um, But I guess kind of touching on the tech that you mentioned, in terms of figuring out a way to streamline this process of campaigns and partnerships and influencers and brands, I do think that We've come a long way, but there's just that human component that was never going to go away. We're never going to completely be able to, you know, put in audience demographic and number one KPI and influencer type and spit it into a system and pop out content. It's just too involved. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. I think that like, I'm just, I'm one, I'm really big on like automation when it comes Mm -hmm. to tech. And I just, there's so many checks and balances that I I think could be in place, you know, coming directly from people like you who has so much experience. It's like, ah, 
like I have the foresight that like this question needs to be asked, that question needs to be asked, this needs to, this box needs to be checked, and this is sort of the process um, in order for this to be successful. Um, and I'm really looking forward to you know more and more people coming out that focus on the technology to support the human element of what yes. we're doing because I never see tech taking over what we're doing right. because that's sort of it's there's a mix of science and artistry in what we do um there's like the data and the analytics and i think that makes what we do um credible mm-hmm. um but the artistry is so important too i mean these influencers are um boutique ad agencies millions of them um are and and that they can't do their job unless they have the ability to be creative right? Um, and really flex that muscle. I think something that tech could help with especially is like FTC guidelines, like ensuring that the right appropriate hashtags are used, like some way to filter, you know, the right FTC guidelines to make sure that everything's like in the right format because I feel like right now – it's pretty manual. It's pretty just someone going through the content Very and ensuring <laughs> that everything is correct. So that's definitely something that I think in terms of what could be a little bit more automated, that could be one piece. I think that some of it, obviously the influencers creating content, I think that that's just something that's always going to be a little more intensive and they're going to have their own creative flair that they put on it and the client's going to have to review it. But I do think there are certain pieces that could be automated that could really help streamline the business that hopefully we'll see in the next few years. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And so talk to us about like shop style and I would like to clear this up on the podcast. I think there is maybe a misconception that shop style is like, only fashion-based. Um, I have witnessed you guys do work with brands all over the map and really runs the gamut. Um, so talk to us a little bit about, you know, the different categories that you guys have seen yeah, success in. Definitely. I do think that there's definitely a misconception that if you're not a fashion client that you wouldn't be able to work with ShopStyle. It's absolutely not true. It also goes back to the fact that we talked about the lifestyle influencers. They not only talk about fashion, but they talk about beauty. They talk about home. They talk about electronics. And I think that obviously we do have a large number of fashion influencers, but we also have influencers that really can get into those other categories and again, drive performance. And that's really where we're experts is understanding purchase behavior, understanding conversion data, and really tapping into that. But we've worked on... You mentioned home. Yes. Home. Yes, we've worked in home. We've Mm -hmm. worked with clients that are like Mm food-focused, subscription boxes, Mm -hmm. um, electronics, obviously beauty, fashion. Of course, fashion is a huge vertical for us, but we definitely have... Way more verticals than maybe clients are aware of. Um, We worked with Cigna last year. Like, we've done some pretty cool and really creative campaigns. And I think that's also something that maybe clients aren't aware of is that we can really help with concepts and ideation of campaigns. We have a team that their full job is casting influencers and helping with strategy. So figuring out what the key messaging should be if they're not sure. So 
you know, a lot of clients know and some don't. Some want some help in terms of what do you recommend these influencers speak to? What do you recommend to have this be really creative and fun? Like, should we incorporate some video component? Um, Should we have them, you know, be at an event? We've done some really awesome events this year. We just had a really cool event with Backcountry. Um, and they had influencers have more of like an experience and it's just really cool to see the different verticals again, backcountries like outdoor apparel. So, you know, it's not just that very fashion focused. And I think that that's super exciting. We're getting into tons of different verticals and we're seeing that our exclusive influencers. So we have about 25 exclusive influencers to the shop style collective network. So we're able to understand from those especially exclusive influencers that there are maybe in a certain phase of life someone's a new mom someone is going on a trip like we have a pulse on what they're doing we have account managers that are texting with them like we know what's up and we know what they're up to and what's going to work so i think that that's also really exciting in terms of a client comes to us and we already know off the top of our head some influencers that would be a good fit. And so talk to us a little bit about that, your exclusive influencers. They're exclusive to you guys in regards to affiliate networks, I would assume. Yes. Exclusive for affiliate networks and exclusive for working on campaigns. Got it. Yeah. So they are contracted because we know that they perform. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are super excited to be able to work with them exclusively to give, you know, brands the ability to work with these partners only through our network. So mm-hmm. it's really exciting um, to be able to partner with them on specific campaigns, whether that be sales driving campaigns or brand awareness. Again, um, most of these exclusive influencers do drive performance and that's why we have them into these contracts mm-hmm. that are exclusive. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we're really proud of you know our partnerships that we have within the overall collective community, but then also, of course, with our exclusive influencers as well. That's great. Um, and so how many people are managing these influencers for you guys? So we have an account team of, I believe it's about seven girls that mm-hmm. are managing influencers full time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, full team for managing influencers, full team for doing casting and strategy, as I mentioned. Mm-hmm. And then I'm on the new business team. So I'm going out and talking to brands, talking about, you know, essentially how to work with influencers, really consulting with them in terms of what we know would work for them and aligning with their business goals. Definitely. And, you know, for some of the people listening, I'm sure that there are certain areas of your business that sound so appealing to them and they may want to like learn about career opportunities with you guys. So um, where is your company based? So San Francisco is the headquarters. Mm -hmm. We also now have some of the team in San Mateo, which is the Rakuten headquarters, Crimson House West. Um, And then we have New York office. We're actually moving into a new building next month. So it should be exciting. Um, And then we have some folks that are remote. Um, But yeah. Generally, California and New York are kind of the big hubs. That's great. And so if someone listening, would they check out your website? How do they find out about career opportunities? Do they connect with people who work for the company on LinkedIn? What do you suggest? LinkedIn, I think, would be great. Always, you know, look me up on LinkedIn. We can get you connected with the right people. But, yeah, I'd say LinkedIn's a good place. 
the shopsale.com website. Um, but yeah, it's a great place to work. It's really exciting. It's so amazing to be part of a company that's evolving and changing and giving influencers tools to be successful, but also figuring out how to align our clients' goals with our influencer partnerships um, and figure out how to make everyone happy. Yeah. What a job. (laughs) What a job. It is not to be underestimated. That is quite a job. And I feel like there are a ton of people who are appreciative for people like you. Um, You make everything happen. So you guys are integral to the process. Um, Last question of the day. What do you wish someone had told your younger self that would have given you a professional or personal advantage today? Good question. Way to spring it on me right at the end. <laughs> um, I would say I wish someone had told me to be a little more confident in my abilities and not question myself. I think that early on, as I mentioned, I was working at what was then Linkshare and no one was really invested in the influencer space. And I think that I was a little timid to be pushing it so much because no one else was really gung-ho. And I wish that I would have earlier been more gung-ho. We need to focus on this. We need to invest in it. Because I think that there was about two years that I didn't push it. And then I did, of course, and I ran the team. But I think that when you're young and you don't feel like you – maybe have enough experience or you just feel a little timid coming in as someone new, I think that you should go for it and push harder and speak your mind. And I, I think that's what I would advice I would give. Because like, what's the worst thing that happens? Of course. They say no. And then maybe you propose it to somebody else instead. Yeah. Anyway. So I think that is such, such great advice that everyone listening should definitely take into consideration and probably implement. Mm -hmm. Um, Where can everyone find you? Because I feel like people are going to want to get in touch. Yeah. So you can find me on LinkedIn and then I will also send over my Instagram handle. Um, Ash Fair Hajar is my handle. Great. A lot of pictures of my daughter, though. So, (laughs) (laughs) um, she's two and she's the best. But yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Um, Who wouldn't want to see beautiful photos of your daughter? Get in touch with you and learn all about what you've been up to. Um, Thank you so much for being on today. It was such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you everyone so much for listening. If you liked what you heard today, don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast. We love comments, so comment on this podcast and we may shout you out on our next episode. Join us next time and thanks for tuning in. For confidence in your financial plan, look for a CFP professional. When your financial advisor earns the CFP certification, it means he or she is trained to provide ethical financial planning across a holistic range of topics, from retirement and investing to taxes and estate planning, all in your best interest. So with a CFP professional, you'll feel confident in your financial plan today and tomorrow. Three letters do make a difference. Visit letsmakeaplan.org to find your CFP professional.